And then on the x-ray, you'll see like more thinning of the cartilage. But again, if you're over 40, even without knee pain, you'll see like 40% of people with these osteoarthritis changes. And so, so just because you have those changes in the cartilage doesn't mean you have pain. I would suggest that they increase your risk for pain, but it's not destiny. That's so it's not irrelevant. The tissue's not irrelevant, uh, but it, it, it doesn't mean you have to have pain and it doesn't mean you can't get better. Hello and welcome to the Adaptive Zone podcast, talking all things running and triathlon, from injury through rehabilitation and into performance. My name is Matthew Boyd. I'm a physiotherapist living in Red Deer, Alberta, originally from the UK, and I'll be your host. Hi guys. Have you been told that you should quit running because of hip or knee osteoarthritis? that it's bone on bone, all that running has caused too much wear and tear? Well, these aren't very optimistic sentiments, are they? So is this an accurate depiction of the future for runners who develop knee osteoarthritis? My guest today doesn't think so. In fact, he's so sure that we health professionals are giving the wrong message to runners about hip and knee osteoarthritis that he's created a program dedicated to providing more optimistic outlook for OA. The program is called OA Optimism. And Dr. Greg Lehman joins me on the show today to discuss why runners with hip and knee osteoarthritis have good reason to be optimistic. Dr. Lehman is a physiotherapist, chiropractor, and a strength and conditioning specialist. He's a thought leader in the rehabilitation world, and he's famous for his efforts to reconcile the biomechanical with the pain science research. Dr. Lehman has taught his two-day course, known as Reconciling Biomechanics with Pain Science, to health and fitness professionals all over the world. Dr. Lehman is also a renowned keynote speaker. I recently had the pleasure to attend his address at the Third World Congress of Sports Physical Therapy in Vancouver. As well as being an intellectually challenging lecture, it was also quite hilarious. Dr. Lehman is also known for his somewhat edgy sense of humor. So without further ado, let's get into the show. Oh, right now, are we recording? Yeah, we record from the start. Usually what I do, oh. <laughs> I don't have a formal start. I just start Sorry. talking and then I go back in the edit and I find an appropriate place. Otherwise oh it feels God. a little bit, uh, a bit too formal. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. Okay. All right, let's start like over. A, start a, over. A, a talk <laughs> so That's could funny. you tell us a little bit about your clinical background, what you do and uh, what your interests are? Yeah. Uh, so my clinical background, I was a chiropractor. You know, uh, 18 years ago is when I graduated. And before that, I did a master's in exercise and spine biomechanics. I was a strength and conditioning coach. And then I became a physio in 2010. So like uh, 11 years ago, never really changed my practice. But, uh, you know, I, I treat uh, people with uh, pain, all types of people, elite athletes to persistent pain, uh, grandfathers, you know, like it, it, the principles are the same to me. Hopefully they want to be active. That usually helps me that's because that's how i like to treat is activity and movement and all that stuff uh, now i primarily i still see patients but i primarily primarily travel <laughs> in theory uh, to, to teach my course for the past six years so it's like more education for for therapists and some education uh for for patients and then i have an active blog and i do some research but mediocre stuff and you're still uh... Are you still calling the course reconciling 
and biomechanics with pain science is that your sort that's of right. theme so, that's so what shit. does that mean what what are you what are you it talking just, about it just means pain is multifactorial it's influenced by a number of factors more than just mechanical aspects uh and i would say for too many years we've focused on the wrong mechanical aspects and the, the idea to the detriment of people and i believe in like simplifying the mechanical aspects so that you can uh, start to address other areas that influence pain as well like stop don't get caught up on like your foot posture and your knee caving in one centimeter and your anterior pelvic tilt that's that's like the wrong road to, to go down we shouldn't be focusing on those those things that, okay. that, that that's the thrust of the course yeah what should we be focusing on do you think what, yeah we're we missing the mark uh I mean, it, it, so if, if I have pain or someone I'm working with has pain, let's say, you know, they're a runner and their knee hurts, we would, we would look at like really general, like simple things. Like, are you just doing too much than what you're ready for right now? It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with how they run or even how much they're running, but there could be something going on in their life where they just can't tolerate the running stressors at that point in time. So the question is, do they have to back off? do a little bit less for a while or or do they have to add something else in their life meaning uh, that could be recovery that could be looking at their sleep that could be their diet where you ask big questions like how can you be be healthier you know that 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 sort of idea it doesn't mean like they're running too much I, like in general like it doesn't mean if they're running 50 kilometers per week they might have to back off to 30 for a while but in six months from now and for years later they could be running 50 60 70. There's not something about their body that can never run 50 to 80 kilometers. There's just something about their situation at the time. And we don't always know that means it's too much for them right now. So that it's, it's, it's things like that, that you'd focus on. Why would their situation influence? Let's say if we sort of zoom in on the knee, so everyone is having knee pain, why would their situation influence that pain? Yeah, we don't know, but thanks for making me look dumb uh it's <laughs> we, we we really don't know it's that multifactorial it's like saying and i apologize for everyone who's listening because like what is this guy talking about but it's it's like having a piece of cake and, and trying to identify what your favorite ingredient in that cake was is it the eggs or the i don't know, yeast i don't know if there's yeast in cake flour you, you know <laughs> what i mean like it's not complicated so you kind of have to yeah, you're still going to like, you'll look at the simple mechanical things like backing off, but you'll also do things to build that person back up. Like my general heuristic is, you know, calm shit down, build shit back up. Mm. That's it. So anything you can do that can help with your desensitization, that's worth doing. That's where you get weird treatments that don't always make sense. You know, uh, it could be like massage or manual therapy and someone will say, oh, I'm breaking up fascial adhesions or something. You're not but it certainly can be calming down your nervous system so you have less pain and then you start running again and slowly you know like building up your volume and that builds you up so you can handle the running demands again or someone else says you know i i picked up some cross training they started doing more elliptical or they started strength training and that helped for some reason or tai chi i'm like good so adding something helps you tolerate the demands of running you know it's like it, it, it's tough because it's, I'm not being definitive here, but it's good in a way because if you've been struggling with pain, it means that there's still hope because there's lots of different things that can help you. Well, I think uh, potentially there I asked too, too big a question, right? Because when you, when you said, you know, <laughs> we don't know, it's like, well, 
I've heard you talk, like I've, I've followed your work for a long time, and I've heard you talk about all the reasons why. And I think what you really mean is there's lots of, it's very complicated, you know, and yeah. some ideas, but we don't know the full story really on why other things influence pain. Yeah. So like a good example, I'm having this debate on Twitter, but it's the a debate I've had forever is uh, if you have knee pain or pretty much pain anywhere, if you do some sort of exercise somewhere else at a distance from that, everyone says you got to strengthen the glutes if you have knee pain. <laughs> sure. Pragmatically, that will help people. But it's also interesting if you strengthen or do strength exercises for the hip adductors, so your groin or your hip flexors, that will help with knee pain, right? And so, the, the, so it just seems like doing something else somewhere else. And you could also do the foot muscles. Like if you just strengthen your calf, uh, those things will help. And then it turns out it's, it may not be because you got stronger. Like we're doing strength exercises. So we just think, oh, you need to be stronger in order to run. Well, that, that's not really proven either. Hmm. It's just that you're doing some sort of exercise. So that exercise helps pragmatically. So we have like research that says these things help, but we don't have research that tells us exactly why they help. So don't, we shouldn't confuse like ourselves thinking, oh, you have to get stronger. What we can say is, oh, you probably should do exercises somewhere else. There's a, a subtle, there's a subtlety there. Okay, so as a physio, I've certainly given glute exercises to people with knee pain. Me too. Right? <laughs> yeah. So, and they have got better. And and mm. potentially in my head, I tell a story. You know, their glutes were weak, their knee was going in. Their glutes are now strong. Their <laughs> knee no longer goes in. Their knee doesn't hurt. And, and and I think what you're saying is that if you sort of go back to the start of that story, and instead of strengthening the glutes, you strengthen the hip flexors. It yeah. would sort of derail that story, but what you're saying is there's research that shows strengthening the hip flexors so then they pull their, their knee upwards, those muscles. Yep. That would help, uh, would it be equally as well? Yeah. And and now our story doesn't make sense anymore, so there's there's got to be some other explanation for how these are helping with pain. Is that what you're That's That's at? it exactly. That's it exactly. Or what often happens is like people think it's strength and why don't you could do like endurance exercises and that'll be just as helpful hmm. right so, so it's so it's fa that's fascinating to me because it just means that there's so many other options or uh it, if the principle is just train some other area you can choose exercises based on some other goal not thinking oh no i have to get the glute need stronger you can choose an exercise because uh, you enjoy it more or hmm. or for performance like i would actually if, if you're a runner i would advocate doing more hip flexor exercises for the performance related to running or if you're a, a a female because you'd be more predisposed to like bone density related injuries i'd advocate doing some sort of exercise that's going to help your bone density if you're a male as, as an athlete you tend to like lose calf strength and tendon stiffness hmm. in your calf so we'd say well let's choose exercises that that are helpful for this because it's better in the long term. Do you know what I mean? Like you get to, yep. it's great because you get to choose an exercise for another potential benefit. And then the side effect is that it helps pain. And the exercise biomechanically doesn't have to explain why it would help with pain. So you don't have to go with no. the biomechanics. It's like we know exercise helps with pain. It doesn't necessarily matter which exercise at which part of the body. I mean, could you go far away? Could you? you know, have someone with knee pain and runner has knee pain and you get them doing shoulder pressing, right? 
Is that going to help them? Or? I know people have said that. I've actually, I've, like, I had someone just do pull-ups, but we were also doing hip stuff too. I was like, because right. there's this general analgesic effect for exercise mm. that that just occurs everywhere. Uh, and there's a general anti-inflammatory effect for exercise. So it might be. But I also think there's a psychology involved since pain is influenced by psychology, that might be a harder sell. It doesn't mm. make, make sense. So like it wouldn't, you may not be tapping into all the potential things that influence pain. So I, 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 I would, I would have trouble saying do shoulder presses for knee pain. Do, do <laughs> but I know need, people do. It, it reminds me, I heard, oh, I've forgotten, isn't, isn't Neil Pearson, the uh, Canadian pain Yeah, the side. yoga guy. Yeah, so he, I was watching a lecture online and he was talking about a study where they looked at people who were thirsty and then they gave them a drink of water and then they rated their thirst score and it was lower immediately after drinking the water. And he's saying, well, they're not, you know, it hasn't even got to their stomach yet, never mind their blood. Sure. But they're not thirsty anymore. And I remember the phrase he used was they've taken the action that they needed to take to address the problem. So is that potentially why? you and I would both be hesitant to give a shoulder yeah. exercise for knee pain because we have to have, okay, my hip was weak, my knee, my knee's mm -hmm. caving in, my knee, my hip is now, you know, we, we, do we need that narrative that the people with knee pain need some sort of explanation? Is that the, could that be the mechanism for why the knee pain reduces because they've taken the action needed to address the problem? I think it's absolutely a huge thing related to it. It's why when you, just like when you look at surgery studies where they have a sham surgery, there's no difference between the groups. You know, they didn't actually do surgery, but, and both were effective. They helped a lot of people. So there, there's something huge there. And then people all, and then this doesn't mean the pain is just in your head. Remember the way, the way your brain works, it's the nervous system. It actually influences what's what happens at the level of the tissue. You will actually, you can decrease sort of the sensitizing chemicals down at the knee when you feel hopeful or optimistic or like what Neil said, or related to triathletes and runners, like uh, Alex Hutchinson writes a lot about this. Uh, it's this, uh, if you give someone, uh, when you give them Gatorade, when they're running, right. If they just swish it in their mouth and spit it out. So it never goes into their body. You'll see a change in the, in the glucose in the bloodstream. So the <laughs> Right. It's just like Neil's example. Wow. So it's done okay, its job. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's an even better one. Like I knew Neil that study. they got a perception of uh, that. They felt more energetic. I, I knew no, that. I didn't know that the physiological glucose. change, there's a yeah. physiological change. It's not just a perception. It's not just perceptual. There's an actual so, change in the physiology when you swish Gatorade around. Could that it's be the a brain mechanism, is predicting. Right. Yeah, for, that's right. For, why the the knee pain no longer hurts is some sort of physiological change around the knee but it's because you've taken the action needed to address the problem or at least you believe you have that's i think that's the idea i still also believe that changing tissue and mechanical stuff is helpful as well and so because i can't be sure that's why i would advocate work on a number of things right so you're yeah. sort of covering all your bases exactly yeah. That's, that's, that's the belt and suspenders approach to rehab. You don't want your pants to fall down. Good. <laughs> Got to have two backups here. Right. Okay, well, like, if, we, if we could sorry. circle back, cause uh, my, my original thought for this, it would go down a little rabbit hole here was to sorry. talk about arthritis. Not yeah. that's, 
I'd like to, I wonder if we could circle back and relate that to an example of, if we start at the beginning, a lot of runners are told to stop running because, you know, they get an x-ray or whatever, and it says that they have knee arthritis. And uh, I wonder if you, just to start right at the beginning, I mean, so that it makes sense when you're talking about some of the other mechanisms, what, what is arthritis? Like when, when someone says that to a runner, what are they actually talking about? Yeah, so I would argue arthritis is pretty much going to occur because you were born. Let's let's say that it's it's not that influenced by the uh, by the physical in your life, right? It's these uh, so it's um, the definition of or the criteria for knee arthritis. I don't memorize this stuff. It's obviously you have knee pain. Okay, in the morning you're stiff. It, you know, there's there's a stiffness, but it doesn't last longer than thirty minutes. If it's really lasting 30, 60, 90 minutes. Then you start thinking that it's not your classic um, osteoarthritis, could be something else. There's some change in function, you know, hurts to go upstairs, your range of motion can be decreased. There'll be some bony changes, so the bones will look different superficially. So that's like your your classic criteria for for clinical knee osteoarthritis. You don't need an x-ray. I think they've just sort of changed the diagnostic criteria. Most doctors would be like, we don't need it, but we'll get one for you. Everyone still gets it. And then on the x-ray, you'll see like more thinning of the cartilage. But again, if you're over 40, even without knee pain, you'll see like 40% of people with these osteoarthritis changes. And so, so just because you have those changes in the cartilage doesn't mean you have pain. I would suggest that they increase your risk for pain, but it's not destiny. That's so it's not irrelevant. The tissue's not irrelevant. Uh, but it, it doesn't mean you have to have pain and it doesn't mean you can't get better. And it also doesn't mean that you're doomed. That's, this is the nice research. This is me being an optimist. When they follow people for like five to seven years, when they have osteoarthritis changes and they have pain, most people don't get worse. I think like greater than 80% just stay the same. So it's not always about progression, at least up to seven years. So to answer your question about like, how is it relevant to runners? This, this is what I mean about reframing biomechanics here. Like instead of viewing load and running stress as this a force for bad or like a negative, I would view it as a force for good. It's like running and healthy running to me can sort of help you tolerate those little changes in your joint that might predispose you to a little bit of, you know, to some discomfort and sensitivity. You know, that's the other way to look at it. It's a healthy thing to do. That physical activity is something you should be doing so that you can tolerate these normal uh, age-related changes in the knee. That's the reconceptualization in the past, I'd say it's over the last 20 years. I'm not the first to say this. I think I, I know what a listener is going to be thinking. As when I think of running, no, sorry, when I think of arthritis, I mean, the image that pops into my head is an x-ray, you know, that, mm-hmm. and I think that's the general perception of arthritis. And I think what you just said is a little bit different. So if we're talking about knee arthritis, I think someone listening to this is immediately going to imagine the, the knee x-ray. And if they know a little bit more, they might imagine like a, a loss in space on the knee x-ray, or maybe some like, some like some like extra bony growth stuff 
Yeah. And what you're saying is that's not knee arthritis. That's it, knee arthritis is more of a clinical condition that yeah. that involves you know pain, loss of function, and that you're saying may not even require an X-ray to be diagnosed. Yeah. Is that is that right? That that's it. And, and, and usually in over 50, usually or 45 is the other criteria. But yeah, that's the thing that would that would be like um, structural or radiographic osteoarthritis. You can have those changes, but plenty of people have those changes and don't have pain or uh, you have pain and you have a tiny amount of changes. Right. Or someone else has, you know, a shit ton, huge changes on their on their X-ray. And they only have a little bit of pain. So there's like a poor relationship between the changes. But again, I don't want to, there are times when it is relevant. There, there are people like if you're, if you're a runner in your fifties or sixties, and you've tried a lot of good therapy and you, your knee still really hurts and you have OA changes. Um, there are times where the surgery is excellent, you know, and, and you can actually do quite well after it. So I don't want to like, if, if you've been struggling with it for years and you can keep, this is the great thing is you can keep running after it. Mm. I would definitely consider, uh, consider a knee replacement. If I was in my sixties, tried everything. I couldn't really run at all. My life was all the things I love to do was influenced. You know, I'd be like, yeah, I'm ready to do it. Cause I want to be more active. So that there, there is a role. It's sometimes relevant. And that's the problem. We just don't always know when. Would you keep running afterwards if that happened? Totally. To and we're talking about a knee replacement here. Yeah. I absolutely would. What, why? Uh, because that's why I got it. <laughs> Be more active. <laughs> I, Otherwise, there's no point. I guess right. the loaded question there is, is it not that they wore out their knee, then they replaced it, and then that surgeon's going to be mad that they go and wear that out as well? You know, the, the, I mean, even to me, so fine, it wears out like a couple of years earlier than it would already. Mm. Who cares? So then I get to run for 10 to 15. It's about quality, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, okay. Or whatever sport I'm doing. I, I keep changing my sports. I don't run as much anymore. <laughs> it's skateboarding right now and trampoline. Uh, so it's just, there's plenty of, uh, a few papers look at people who have these uh, implants, that the, the replacements, and they're able to run and keep running. So there's, mm -hmm. we're starting to do studies now. And you'll hear tons of, if you go online and search like, running with a knee replacement. I think there's like a bunch of, of course, Facebook pages just saying, yeah, it's awesome. I love this. <laughs> like, yeah, otherwise, I, I did actually point? try and look into the research a little bit on that. It just doesn't seem like there's a lot. There's yet. not a lot. There's yeah. not a lot. Uh, Jay Episcudier, he would be a good person to uh, talk to or look up online his work. I think he's getting more into that. He's a running, mm -hmm. running injury related researcher, but in order to, I haven't talked to him about this, but he's doing a lot more knee OA stuff now. Mm. That's where, that's where the money is. <laughs> all right. Okay. So you made a website and I watched all the videos just the other day and yeah. you were talk. um, you've called it OA optimism. Could you explain, you know, what the purpose of it is and why you called it OA optimism? Yeah, it's just a derivative of like, my catchphrase of like movement optimism. So I'm like, Oh, it's, it's, it's because people are so negative when it comes to osteoarthritis, like, Oh no, your knee caves in, you got all these postural faults. You have to stop doing everything. And I'm like, no, 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 this is fine. It'd be weird if you didn't have OA changes, what's wrong with you? Your knee looks like it's 20 years old. Like that's <laughs> weird stuff. 
right? <laughs> like we got, you have to start doing the things that you love again. That's the whole point right, right there. Like, yeah, I, I, and, and this is the other thing, like when it comes to pain and I'm not saying you're gonna be pain-free when you have, if you start being active again, when you have knee away, what exercise and activity and changing your mindset and being healthier again, what they typically do is take people from like five out of 10 pain, whatever that is, you know, that's the average to, to like two and a half or two, you know, that's, that's a good success. So their knee still hurts sometimes, but here's the thing. They're doing the things that they love again, right? Like it, it, we have to normalize having some pain. Like I'm sore today <laughs> That's because I'm active. It's mm -hmm. I'm 47. That's just, that's normal. And I, I know people who are pain free all the time, but then they have massive flare ups and they're out for a few days. That's normal too. Like we, we have to like normalize having these uh, aches and pains. Just, mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean stop, you know, cause stopping sometimes won't help your aches and pains either. Right. Mm. Keep doing the stuff you love. That's yeah, it's the like opposite. the, it's like the risk of doing nothing, right? There's, um, that, you know, if you don't run, there is a risk to that too. You know, if yeah. you stop running cause you want to protect your knees, that's not without its risks as well. Yeah. 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 And, and again, I, I, when we look at the research on running and protecting the knees, there doesn't seem to be a even that idea, just running doesn't seem to make them wear down. Maybe right. at a massively extreme amount, like in elite runners doing huge amounts of running, but for the majority of people who, you know, just run 20 to 50 K a week, it's, that's a recreational runner. It's not, it's not doing it. It's not how the body's built, right? It's, it's built to respond to the, these stressors and build up if anything. Yeah, I think that's the, the thing we often struggle with is we think of our joints a bit like car parts, right? And the more you use them, like you've got a certain amount of use in them, but it's not the right way to think of them because being alive will respond to stress, you know? So if our, if we run on our knees, our bones will get stronger, our muscles will get stronger. I believe even our cartilage will respond in a positive yeah. way in some way. There's a few... Uh... Again, J.F. Escuglia has some studies about, you know, if people go for a hard run, you'll see these changes in the cartilage after that tend to be precursors to uh, positive adaptations. And then if, if for any of the mice that are listening, we know that mice, when they run, <laughs> get stronger, like discs and cartilage. And, and there's some studies in humans, fine, where... Uh, they give strength training exercises and you'll see positive adaptations in the cartilage and not just in kids. This isn't like, like on a 13 or something, this is like adults, you know, hmm. 40. So, so you, you still will see it. And yeah, your, your adaptability is limited. Uh, uh, like you can only adapt so much, but you'll see some changes. You're definitely not seeing more wear and tear, right? Like, so here's an, an example. I know we were going to talk about this, but I'll jump ahead. Um, when people, lose so they have neoa and they might have a bmi like over 30 which be on the on the higher side and it it would be suggested that it's helpful to lose weight to help with pain uh the assumption has always been oh well they have less pain because there's less stress on the knee right that's the idea there's less load what's really interesting is there isn't <laughs> i mean if, sure if they're just standing there there's less but once they start walking 
when you lose weight, there's a subset of people who just walk faster, you know, cause they right. feel better and, um, and maybe they've been exercising more. So they went, once they walk faster and they take longer strides, they now put more stress on their knee. It's so fantastic. So they call them loaders. And, and so researchers were like, oh no, like we, what about the, the law of unintended consequences? What if they're, they're gonna pay for it later? They're stressing their knees even more. So they fault, this is Messier's work, uh, who I'm seeing on the, this Wednesday. I have a, a pot, uh, and it doesn't matter. <laughs> He's a good researcher, his whole career's on this. Uh, so they, they load their knee more and they followed them for 18 months to see if they paid for it later. And no, they didn't. Mm. They, and they, they, they surprisingly kept the weight off, which is really tough. I'm surprised. Um, sometimes being in a study helps because there's so much like people mm. forcing you. But um, so they loaded the knee more and, and followed them for 18 months and no negative changes in that time. So why then would the knee pain improve if you lose weight? Because that's a that's a common recommendation. And it's, a, it's one of the reasons a lot of people get into running is that they want to lose weight. And then the knee starts to hurt, they get an x ray, they're told they have arthritis, they should stop running. And they're like, Oh, man. Yeah, that, that, that's really I, I, I don't really like the advice to lose weight. I, I get how it can be helpful for some people if, if you're motivated to lose weight and something that you're driven to do and you want to for whatever reasons fine, go ahead. But I, I don't think we should be telling people you have to lose weight to get out of pain. Because mm -hmm. although it's like, this is what I mean about options. Yes, it's one option. But it's not the only one. Uh, if, if someone's like, listen, I can't lose weight, but I'll be happy to be active and do other things. I'll be like, good. Let's work together. We, 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 we can do it. If you lose weight, great if you wanted to, but you don't have to. So the reason uh, the rationale behind losing weight Yes, yeah, some people say it's load on the structures. I don't think so. Um, I think it's, it's associated with other health benefits. People might be more active. They walk more. They just feel better. They're more optimistic. And then there's the chemical sensitizing component. Like an increase in adipose tissue can be related to like more inflammatory mediators. So it's a very complex neuroimmune mm -hmm. response. Again, it's, it's just chemicals in the joint. And that those chemicals can drive sensitivity. Mm -hmm. That that would be the idea. So is that why? Because earlier uh, you were talking about the structural changes related to uh, you call it structural or radiographic osteoarthritis, yeah. and you talk about this in the videos on the OA Optimism site. And you were saying that you know this isn't a one-to-one -one relationship with pain; that there is a relationship there, but it's not a one-to-one -one relationship. And is that, yeah. is that one of the factors? Like if you have more adipose tissue, then you will be more sensitive to the structural changes. Is that, is that how we get this discrepancy between how much structural changes on an x-ray and how much actual pain and disability a runner might feel? That, that's exactly how I view it. Yeah, it's like the structural change just is one little part of it. And then you have these other things that just make you more sensitive to what's going on. And that's why you see like, weird things this is where the psychological aspect comes in you can't talk yourself out of having pain but like people who catastrophize i'm a catastrophizer like you just look at the even though i'm an optimist it's a bit weird like you just focus on like the worst things worst things and you just think this is horrible or you ruminate i'm over ruminator you mm -hmm. just keep thinking you become hyper vigilant you get worried you're anxious you're fearful these things tend to be associated with more pain as well and so that's that's what's odd i don't <clears throat> I don't know if it's if if they meet mediate the pain via chemical changes or if they like 
if you're a ruminator or you worry a lot means you just end up not doing as much that that would be the issue so there's it's again like we said it's 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 complex so yeah i think it's more chemically driven that, so that's what's you, going on if you have a certain personality type like you are i think i could fit into this box a bit more of a ruminator a bit more of a worrier a bit yeah. more of a catastrophizer right you're always focusing on what could go wrong when that person has some structural changes in their knee their body will react differently to someone who's more let's say generally optimistic and tends to focus on things that are positive and, and just kind of yeah. forget about things that they can't control and not dwell on them and that's a, that's a way that a psycho psychological trait might influence the actual pain that someone feels from a, an arthritic knee with the same amount of arthritis, like two different people, same amount, yeah. but different experience of pain. Is that, is that one of the ways, uh, another way in which, you know, the, these two things don't marry up exactly. It, exactly. And that, and that's, and that's exactly what we think is going on. And so what's odd is I believe in these psychosocial factors, the way I address them, the way people can address them, it's not talk therapy. That's whatever. A good explanation is helpful, but it's through physical activity. It's like you, you, you start running again or squatting again, or, you know, playing golf or tennis or something, and you're still worried and have all these traits, but it's almost like you're building a case to yourself for resiliency, you know, like, mm. so, so that's what I mean about reconciling biomechanics. It's like, we have a biomechanical intervention here, but really maybe the target is fear, worry, anxiety, you know, depression, catastrophizing, right? It's just, they, they, they do it all together. And sure, maybe you get stronger and stiffer and good stuff like that. I like that phrase, like you're building a case. It's like, if you present to your knee credible evidence that That's it, it, yeah. it is still healthy enough to run, to hike, to swim, to bike, to lift weights, uh, what what happens then if you do that you present that case what what changes why does the pain improve yeah don't ask me <laughs> <laughs> so the theory one theory this is goes right back to like when you take in that gatorade you swish it around spit it out and your brain predicted the response there and that's why you had the insulin or the glucagon or the the the, the sugar change so the brain was predicted it, it, it anticipated it did something before uh, that would be one of the ideas where the, somehow the brain or the nervous system just responds differently to whatever is going on at the knee. Uh, and you could have actual, I think you can actually have specific tissue chemical changes going on there. Because it, it, the way the nervous system works, it's just not like, it's not just bottom up, right? It's not just sending information from the knee. It like nerves can have trophic or have like, can, inject chemicals injects not there excrete chemicals the other direction as well right it's so it's so interesting like neurogenic infl inflammation when you have a cut you'll see redness around it when you're healing that's what's what the nerves did it, it, they there's substance there's other things that have, i'm not a neuroimmunologist but there's things that are excreted down there <laughs> making more sensitive stuff <laughs> well, that's my favorite, like substance P. That's one of them. They, they didn't even try to come up with a name. They just said, oh, it's substance P. How's that any better than stuff? <laughs> uh, so, I mean, what would your advice to a runner be if they have been told they have 
And I presume you get this in the clinic. I mean, I don't know if you want to use a specific oh, yeah. example. Specifical? That's not a word. Yeah. Specific example. <laughs> what? What? How do you advise runners? What? What do they need to think about if they've been told they have knee arthritis, and maybe they've even been advised to stop running? Yeah. What are some of the things you need to think about? I, I ask them what they think. Like tell, like how have you felt? And it's what's so interesting. It's like when do you feel better? When do you feel worse? And so often it's like, oh, I feel better when I'm running. And I'm like, okay, well, then we got to run, man. Or I'd be like, I run, but I'm a bit sore. And what do you think about that? Oh, I'm just sore. I'm 56. First when I run a bit. How are you the next day? Eh, back to normal. I'm like, okay, let's trust that. Right? We can't always trust the body, but we can a little bit. Right? Well, I, so, think that, I think I know what they think. They, they worry, and I would too that in the long run, it's going to get worse if they keep doing it. Yeah. So I would, this is where you have to talk about the research. I say, well, in the long run, you know, it, it doesn't seem to make it worse. And then I would also say, what do you think is going to happen? And I used to say, I would say more to women, like, and just jokingly, I'm like, okay, so you're worried about getting a hip replacement or something like that. And I said, well, what would you rather have a hip replacement or be dead? Maybe <laughs> like, what? <laughs> and I said, well, you get a hip replacement. But the other thing that happens, you know, running or hopping and skipping, these things can kind of build your bone. Running doesn't build your bone density as much. I thought it did 15 years ago. I would be like, well, running would build your bone density. And if you don't run and you have low bone density, what can happen to you? What can break my hip? And then what can happen? You can die, right? Like <laughs> some people die of like hip fractures. So I just took, I thought I could catastrophize the other direction. But He's that's what I mean. Scare them like, into running. <laughs> exactly. Scare them into running. You, you got to look at it the other way. Like what are the costs of you not running? Yeah. Yeah. Right. That, that's, that's important as well. Like, oh, okay. So there's this tiny remote chance that it increases your risk of getting a, hip, a knee or hip replacement. Ah, that's really suspect. Ah, mm. you know, you know, if you feel good, it's okay. Well, I think that's the thing is that I only in recent years have come across the research that shows, especially recreational running, doesn't. I mean, it might even have a protective effect against um, yeah. symptomatic, like painful arthritis in the knee, as far as I'm aware. Yeah, that, and, that's and I a... didn't know that. You know, so if if a runner doesn't know that, then they've got to be able to know that so they can weigh that up against. Okay, if I quit running. What's the likelihood I'll do something else? And it's pretty, it's usually something easier, like walking, right? And mm -hmm. then you're like, well, what if then you go on to develop other health problems that you could have mitigated with, with running, like heart yeah. disease, diabetes, you know, obesity, like these other things that have really, like you said, like you might die from these things. Yeah. So you're, then you're weighing up a potentially not even a higher chance of getting a knee replacement against an almost certainly higher chance of having a serious health consequence. And that's a much, much different question. There's that. And, and I don't know this research well, because it's out of my sphere, but you, you look at like, what increases your risk for mortality? And I know in men, it's often like, loneliness and a sense of social isolation. And what's so great about running, especially in Canada with the running room, right? Mm. You have like, <clears throat> 80 people meeting to run every Sunday morning at that store like they, for a lot of runners it's who they are it's their social network i would mm. never take that away from someone like, yeah gotta keep people doing the things that they they love that's huge yeah 
There's less of a social network and trampolining. That's the problem. That's what I miss about running. <laughs> it was just me and a bunch of 20 somethings. Right? So you used was, to run, right? And I did. I did. I just like, I wasn't competing anymore. Not, I would always compete against myself because I was traveling so much. So it was hard. Like, I, you know what I mean? I wanted to break 20 minutes in the 5K. I would have, I, I always was driven by numbers. So it wasn't was because just, of knee arthritis. You didn't, you didn't quit because no, you were worried about your knees. <laughs> no, no, no. I wanted to qualify for Boston. So I gave it a good year and, or a year and a half. And nah, no, couldn't, couldn't do it. So what, just, what's your PR for the marathon? It's 328. But what, what did you was, need? Probably that, that year, like 314. It was 315, but it probably needed 313. I had done the Yasso. What was so sad, I did the Yasso 800s with an oh. average of 308. I was, I'm probably the worst, like way off. You know that predictive test where it's Yeah, I do. But could you explain just for the listeners? Because I've done it before. It's horrendous. <laughs> I loved it. It was, and I did it like two months before. It's, it's Bart Yasso writes for Runner's World, and he would say, like, a predictive test for your marathon is you do 10 800s right and and then i rested two minutes in between the 800s but some would say you just rest the same time so my average for those 800s was three minutes and seven seconds uh uh with huge variability and so what he says you take your average and you turn it you turn the minutes into the hours and turns the seconds into the minutes so the, my prediction would have been to run a marathon at 3.07. And I knew that was off, but I thought, oh, that's okay. I got a bit of a buffer. But I ran 3.28. Like my, I had a positive split of like a 137, 136 half, and then uh, a 155 or something. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, 152 is bad, is bad. <laughs> and then you, you got into gymnastics. Uh, yeah, yeah. And how's that going? It's that's hard too. Like that's that's the thing. Like I, you're sore a lot. Like because I was trying to get really good at round up back handspring got tucks and like to get better you have to you have to overtrain. And this is there's a, a moral here. Like so so I had I chose to be in pain because I was trying to train four to five days a week really hard because I that's the only way I could increase my skill. And I did that for like a year and I still do it, but now I do it more at a, like I do more trampoline, I do softer stuff. So I still train two to three days a week doing it. Not so much with the COVID, but so you get, oh, that's the thing. So like, it, I didn't ruin myself. I'm not in pain because I trained in pain for six months. You can recover from stuff like that. You just have to have a choice. Like it didn't mess me up. I'm, I'm probably fitter for it and healthier uh, for it. Well, it reminds me of something I wanted to ask, which I forgot. Um, you know, traumatic injuries. So you often see this with uh, youngsters or, or yeah. people nowadays who had, let's say, torn their ACL when they were, you know, playing hockey when they were younger. And then now they're in their 20s and 30s and they've started running, they get knee pain. And and then there is, there is some connection here. I don't want to sort of butcher it because I'm not super um, familiar with this, but what, what is the link between arthritis and some sort of major traumatic injury like an ACL? So there is a link, but I'm not sure it's something that can be mitigated. Like, meaning, meaning it's going to happen no matter what. Mm -hmm. I think you can help yourself cope with those symptoms. That's why, again, that's why I think the running and strength training are important to do mm. when you have that stuff. Yeah, right. So I think you can mitigate it in a positive way, but I don't think the physical activity is going to... Uh, change it negatively it, you're right. going to have those joint changes regardless yeah, yeah. so that that's how it, that's what i meant to, yeah 
Again, it's about coping. That's like view OA is like the, the physical activity and all your interventions. It's to cope with the issue that you have. Mm-hmm. You're not going to cure it and you're not going to make those structural changes worse. You got to do the physical activity stuff and all the other healthy stuff to manage it. That's mm-hmm. the way you want to view it. Right. It's the same almost with every condition. Like some of us are going to pre- be predisposed to knee pain, right? You just manage it. You work around it. You could do it. You're not just because your knee hurts doesn't mean you messed up. There's not something wrong with you. You can go through bouts of, you can get better and then you can have bad days too, but keep running. <laughs> yeah. I, I think what sometimes happens, I see uh, there was a runner. Um, I used to run with in Ottawa at the running room, actually. And he, he wouldn't run on the, the, the camber of the road. He yeah, didn't yeah. want it to be a certain way. So he would cross the road kind of thing when we were, you know, to run on the other side. And I think that's sometimes the trouble with the sort of what you said, that the, the structure is the destiny. Like if you believe yeah. that it's putting more stress on that inside part where your knee, you know, you saw the x-ray and your knee's more worn out on that part, then you're going to take actions like that. And that one on its own might not be such a big deal. But if you take, you know, the next time something hurts, like getting out of a low chair, you're like, well, I don't sit in low chairs anymore. I'm going yeah. to sit in high, you know, and then it's, there's this almost this sort of creeping of it's, it's like your functional sphere of what you can do gets smaller and smaller over time. And I think when people lose running, like you said, they, it's a huge one, you know, it's a yeah. huge, like it's the social, it's psychological, it's, it's cardiovascular fitness and health. It's like, it's all these things. And you just chunk like a big chunk of your, um, you as a person yeah. is kind of gone. No, no, I, I, I agree. Like I, I would, I would build that sphere. That's the idea. That's what running should be doing. You actually on the old website, OA Optimism, which I will definitely plug because I'm going to start sending that to all my clients with me. OA. I actually have two earmarked for this week that I'm going to send it to because I, I had heard about it, but I hadn't watched the videos. And it, it's not super long and it's really easy to go through. And Good. it's super helpful to have someone like yourself talk to, talk to clients. Do you know what I mean? Not, not, yeah. not just to clinicians but to hear how you explain things in a very simple and succinct way. And so, yeah, (laughs) I would definitely uh, recommend that uh, people check that out. Well, it's nice that someone else says it too. Like I can't send people to my own website. That's why I need someone. (laughs) So the idea is like, if any clinicians are listening, it's good when someone else says something. You know, especially if they're in another country, because then they're an expert for sure. <laughs> right? I wish I had. Well, I guess I do have an accent. But if I had an Australian accent for my Canadian patients, that'd be better, too. So then you get to like someone tells a new concept and then you as a clinician get to talk about it. That's the, it's, it's sometimes help, like easier to break a new concept that way. Yeah, it adds some validity, right? Because it's not just some, you know, especially if you're having to contradict something that someone's been told sometimes yeah, a long yeah, time yeah. ago, sometimes people have quit running 10 years ago. And they're like, Yeah, I'd like to run. But I can't do that because of my knee arthritis. You know, so, and, and for me as a clinician to tackle that is, is daunting, right? But if I have that, those videos, at least it's a starting point for a conversation. So I'm doing this panel on Wednesday with all these uh... Uh, experts. I'm, I put experts in quotes for me, <laughs> but these are legitimate PhDs studying this stuff for 30 years. I'm more of a knowledge translator and clinician. And uh, it's on heavy resistance training for an EOA 
versus light resistance training, and then this general health program, which is really good too. Um, and all all the groups did better, right? Which, which was interesting. And so some people are upset with that because it's all training really strong that it doesn't outperform a general health program. But I'm more optimistic. I'm like, this is fantastic. Look at all these options we have. Mm. And then what's interesting is like heavy resistance. We're talking 90% of people's max for leg press and all this stuff, like super high loads here with NeoA. The big point is that group didn't get worse. Mm. They loaded the shit out of their knee, right? And really pushed it. And remember, and they were allowed to push into pain. That's part of it. There's a lot of good messaging there. So like the, if people, and that's open to everyone, it's ORSI, like O-A-R-S-I. That's mm-hmm. like, I forget the acronym it has something to do with arthritis and it's you know, <laughs> somewhere in the OA, OA. Yeah. 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 Um, but people can listen to that this Wednesday as all these researchers talking about this paper. Cool. That's I will try too. and um, yeah, I'll find it, you the link. Yeah. I'll, I'll put that in the description. I forgot and, about that. <laughs> well, I think it, it speaks to, I was listening to a podcast with you, I think on physiomatas just yesterday when I was running or, or something. Oh yeah. yeah. And, it might have been a different one, but you were talking about, you know, someone, I don't think it was with Neoa, some injury and you were like, yeah, but you don't necessarily, you were talking about just this stuff. You were like, you could, you could get them hiking. Do you know what I mean? You don't have to give them, I think mm-hmm. you were talking about clams. Like you can't, you don't have to give them clamshells to strengthen their hip. If, if they don't want to do that, you can say, go hiking. And I was like, man, I've never done that. Like it, it's very predictable what you'll get from me if you've got neoy it's you know you'll get certain strengthening exercises and advice on titrating your running volume and i never thought just get them doing ask them what they like doing and get them doing something totally different and that's their physio like i've never thought about that like that you could be quite creative i think yeah that's why it's it's important for us to always question why someone gets better mm. the goal we define what's the mediator of recovery and if it's different than what we've always thought, it probably opens, opens us up to having different options to help people. Yeah. And then what's, what I think is even just as important is if, if there's something that, remember the, in the course we start with, like, when do you have to do something specific, like to help someone? Like, are there ever times where, no, you absolutely have to build your bone density. And we know that the best way to do that is heavy strength training and hopping. Then we have to say, you definitely have to do these. You can't just go for a walk. Mm-hmm. Right. Walking's great, but you need a bone density, you know, stimulus and you need to do it this way. So it's like good to have choices, but then when you have to be like rigid, you know, and have fewer choices, we want to know when you have to be so rigid. Right. Yeah. Right. I yeah, think so. so. That, I think that's helpful. It definitely is. Yeah. And just probably the last point, because I, I want to let you go, but yeah, on the, I think this, analogy is really helpful i wonder if you could just uh, talk the listener through it you, on the website you talk about uh, a cup a, a cup okay. being an analogy of of you as a runner with knee pain so what's that all about yeah so it's just a simple analogy for pain and probably inaccurate like all analogies but it's still <laughs> useful uh so you, your pain holds all the potential stressors or po- all the potential contributors to pain uh, and when that cup overflows, that's when you get pain. So what it means is like, you can have a bunch of shitty stuff going on in your life. You can have knee away, you can have muscle weakness, you can overtrain sometimes, you can have poor sleep, you can be stressed out, you can ruminate and be anxious. Uh, but if your cup's big enough, you can tolerate that stuff. So if you have things in your life that are positives, 
you know, that build resiliency, then you're pain free. Uh, so treatment is either like decreasing what's in the cup or building a bigger cup. So I always ask my patients, like, what am I missing? What's in your cup here? And then our next question is like, what do you want to work on? And the easy ones, like for running, it's like, well, let's work on your running volume. You, you're doing four speed sessions per week and you're not doing any easy stuff or all of your runs are at like, you know, close to your marathon pace. You got to slow down. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? Like yeah. you got no variety in here. So, so I, most of my treatments are still really mechanical, but then you might, people might be like, you know what? Like my work stress is just really has been really bad these past few months. And I cope with my work stress by doing harder workouts. And those, I'm like, well, you know what, that when your work stress is bad, those are kind of the weeks to like take, give yourself a deload week and do a, a plateau and cut back a bit, you know, or someone does the opposite where they, when their work stress is bad, they're, they hardly run at all. And then four weeks later, they jump back into their regular training. You know what I mean? Like, you, so it's always like, what's in your cup? You know, can we change these things here? Or are there, are there things we can add to tolerate what's in the cup? Well, yeah, so those would be examples, if I'm understanding correctly, of, you know, okay, the cup's overflowing, your knee's hurting, what can we take out of the cup or modify to reduce the, the volume of stuff in the cup? But then you also said that you could make the cup bigger. So how might someone do that? Yeah, so this is where I tend to be really traditional. And I, and I would say it's adding something. So the easiest way would be what you're talking about. That would be adding hip, calf, knee exercises. You know, right, okay. You're going to cut the volume too and then add stuff like that. Um, it could be, this sounds odd, but like you could add, like sometimes with, when I'm building a runner up, I'll add, uh, warmups throughout the run to get more volume. So if they can tolerate 20 minutes of running, we'll do 20 minutes of running, but uh, every seven minutes they do a one to three minute warm up, like skipping, hopping, karaoke. So it's like running related volume, but not actually running. Mm-hmm. So we're adding, adding more would be the idea or add like another hiking session per week. Keep your running volume the same, but add two like hill sessions where you walk up a really steep hill. Mm-hmm. And that's nice too, because you can like uh, sell it as a pr- performance benefiting yeah. as well. Yeah. Anytime you can check a few boxes, I think that's a good intervention. Uh, or it could be, uh, you know, I always tell people, everyone says you need better sleep. And then I'm like, well, as soon as you tell someone they need better sleep, you automatically decrease their sleep quality. Yeah. <laughs> Cause now you're worried about it. So like I say, I'll, I always say that like sheepishly, if you think there's something you could do about your sleep, about, you know, try to, you know, get a little, yeah, I, I feel like, cause I get that. Like, I almost feel guilty for not sleeping. Like we've been trying to buy a yeah. house uh, last couple of weeks. We just, got it done and I've been sleeping terribly and yeah you know thinking that this might put me at risk for injury if I train too much that doesn't really help (laughs) there's some research on that like although everyone says it like you kind of go look at it like then I would also say but then give yourself a break you fine that's in the cup your shitty sleep for the past few weeks but you can tolerate it you'll tolerate it for decades and centuries you'll so that would be building you up by saying, don't worry about it so much. Right. I, I, well, one I often use is, I mean, I've been through it myself, but when people have young children, you know, they're expected to have less sleep for a protracted period of time. Yeah. But, you know, it comes to an end and they don't die. <laughs> they, yep. they don't get injured constantly, right? They cope with it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know sleep's a tough one. Like I almost want to say, 
yeah, it's okay. You can, you can get by with this. If you can work on it, great. Go mm -hmm. ahead. But you don't need to. And that's the point of the cup. It's like, there's things in here that don't need to change. Yeah. Yeah. You don't I, have to change. Everything doesn't have to be perfect. Yeah. Like if one thing is doing a bit better or if you build your cup a bit bigger, like I, I think one for building the cup, I don't know what you think would be like joyful stuff in your life. Yeah. Like are you doing stuff with your family and friends that you really enjoy? Or are you just spending all your time working, training and doing the things you have to do? You know, what, what are you doing that you just do for fun? You know, I was just going to add that. That's, that's where I talk about like social hobbies and stuff like that, you know, or get, like give yourself a break. A patient of mine, she said, thank you for telling me. I probably told this joke. Thank you for giving me, you know, the advice to write down the three things that I was doing really well that day. That's really helped a lot. I'm like, oh, you're welcome. And in my head, I thought I never told her that, but that's the <laughs> best advice ever. Everyone's getting that. And that really helped her just like, not, like she's hard on herself. And I guess someone told her to like, Proud, but write down what you've done well it wasn't me but i got the credit and i took it i bet she told all her friends about you as well <laughs> that's right well i think that's a nice note to end on and that's certainly like i not to sort of embarrass you but your course was a real pivotal moment for me in my career it was so helpful for clearing up a lot of the confusion i had by why things people were getting better sometimes and I didn't understand why they were getting better and why people weren't getting better sometimes. And I didn't understand that, you know, I had this very biomechanical kind of view of things and, and sort of your course really opened up, just like you just talked about with the cup. The, these are all the contributing factors. These are all the ways you might be helping or not helping. Like, and I was like, okay, right. And <laughs> this is a different way to look at each client and each person. And, it really helped remove a lot of the confusion I'd had for the sort of 10 years up until that point. So it's a, it's a wonderful course in there. Uh, okay. You've got lots of stuff. I'm going to link up all your podcasts and stuff and, and the OI optimism site. And I definitely recommend that runners, especially check out your stuff. Cause it, it's so helpful. It's uh, it's really great. Yeah. I got to start blogging more and I, you know, then I can get better advice on there. <laughs> <laughs> well i mean you've got the podcast as well with um oh, yeah. your podcast. like it, it sometimes for runners it, it, it can be a little probably a little difficult to follow but it's still most of the time it, it's it's not so jargon yeah, yeah, yeah. you know so i'll definitely link that as well and yeah your blogs are often always a lot of fun okay thank but you thank you very much for making the time for us greg i really appreciate it oh my pleasure it's great Cool. Uh, well, I will put a link on the in the show to the course in Edmonton if it goes ahead. And otherwise, uh, <laughs> let's hope so. Yeah. Uh, but otherwise, uh, all yeah, the check out that talk. Oh, uh, yeah. Check sorry. out that talk on Wednesday. Wednesday. If you search like Orsi, that's who's doing it. It's like out of Melbourne, but it's uh, Wednesday at five or something like that. They need to change the name. What, how do I spell that? <laughs> like or and then S-I. O-A-R-S-I. Yeah. O okay. A R S I. All right, I'll Google that and try and find it after we get off the phone. Yeah, I'm not sure what it is. It's out of one of the universities there. Like, I can't remember. It's something. I'll try to. I think I tweeted it out on Twitter too, so it's out there. Okay, cool. Okay, I'll, I'll try and put that in the description. Thanks, Greg. I really appreciate your time. My pleasure. Good to see you. Take care. Yeah. Thanks for listening, guys. If you'd like your questions featured on the show, just email me, mboydphysio at gmail.com. And if you have a moment to leave a review on whatever podcast I'd be listening to this on, it would be a huge help. See you next week.